0: Welcome to When the World Falls Podcast. My name is Teresa. I am your host. Um, This is probably going to be the last sort of series that we currently have going, unless I somehow ADHD fixate on something else. We'll see how it goes. Um, Anyway, so this one is the first episode of the series known as Fay Tales. Um, So, growing up, I really loved reading the Fairy books that were edited by Andrew Lang. They're like a ton of really classic kind of like Brothers Grimm fairy tale stories. Not, you know, like Disney ones, but, you know, the legit ones that are coming from like 16th century that would not do well sharing with small children. Um, but I was just hoping to share with you that with you. Um, there's some fabulous and interesting stories that you probably will never have heard of. So this will just be two stories from the Blue Fairy book that I'll be starting with and we'll just continue on to see as it goes along. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It's always a good palate cleanser after binging copious amounts of true crime. So, yeah. So the first story we'll be reading is known as The Bronze Ring. Please note, these things are published like 200 years ago Maybe a few word symbols so I can edit some less than appropriate terminology out, but we'll see how it goes. So we'll be doing the bronze ring and Prince Hyacinth and the dear little princess today. So the bronze ring. Once upon a time in a certain country, there lived a king whose palace was surrounded by a spacious garden. But though the gardeners were many and the soil was good, this garden yielded neither flowers nor fruit nor even grass or shady trees. The king was in despair about it when a wise old man said to him, "'Your gardeners do not understand their business, but what can you expect of men whose fathers were cobblers and carpenters? How should they have learned to cultivate your garden?' "'You are quite right,' cried the king. "'Therefore,' continued the old man, "'you should send for a gardener whose father and grandfathers have been gardeners before him, and very soon your garden will be full of green grass,' beautiful flowers and you will enjoy its delicious fruit so the king sent messengers to every town village and hamlet in his dominions to look for a gardener whose forefathers had been gardeners also and after 40 days one was found come with us and be gardener for the king they said to him how can i go to the king said the gardener a poor wretch like me that is of no consequence they answered "'Here are new clothes for you and your family, but I owe money to several people. "'We will pay your debts,' they said. "'So the gardener allowed himself to be persuaded and went away with the messengers, "'taking his wife and his son with them. "'And the king, delighted to find a real gardener, entrusted him with the care of his garden. "'The man found no difficulty in making the royal garden produce fruit and flowers.' And in the end of the year the park was not like the same place and the king showered gifts upon his new servant the gardener as you have heard already had a son who was a very handsome young man with the most agreeable manners and every day he carried the best fruit of the garden to the king and all the prettiest flowers to his daughter now this princess was wonderful fully pretty and was just 16 years old and the king was beginning to think it was time she should get married my dear child he said you were of an age to take a husband therefore i am thinking of marrying you to the son of my prime minister father replied the princess i will never marry the son of the prime minister why not asked the king because i love the gardener's son answered the princess on hearing this the king was at first very angry And then he wept inside, and declared that such a husband was not worthy of his daughter. But the young princess was not to be turned from her resolution to marry the gardener's son. Then the king consulted his ministers. This is what you must do, they said. To get rid of the gardener, you must send both suitors to a very distant country, and the one who returns first shall marry your daughter." The king followed this advice, and the minister's son was presented with a splendid horse and a purse full of gold pieces, while the gardener's son had only a lame old horse and a purse full of copper money, and everyone thought he would never come back from his journey. The day before they started, the princess met her lover and said to him, Be brave, and remember always that I love you. Take this purse full of jewels and make the best use you can of them for love of me and come back quickly and demand my hand the two suitors left the town together but the minister's son went off in a gallop on his good horse and very soon was lost to sight behind the most distant hills he traveled on some he traveled on for some days and presently reached a fountain beside which an old woman all in rags sat upon the stone good day to you young traveler she said but the minister's son made no reply have pity upon me traveller she said again i am dying of hunger as you see and three days have i been here and no one has given me anything let me alone old witch cried the young man i can do nothing for you and so saying he went on his way that same evening the gardener's son rode up to the fountain upon his lame grey horse good day to you young traveller said the beggar woman Good day, good woman, answered he. Young traveler, have pity upon me. Take my purse, good woman, he said, and mount behind me, for your legs cannot be very strong. The old woman did not wait to be asked twice, but mounted behind him, and in this style they reached the chief city of a powerful kingdom. The minister's son was lodged in Grand Inn. The gardener's son and the old woman dismounted at an inn for beggars. The next day, the gardener's son heard a great noise in the street, and the king's heralds passed, blowing all kinds of instruments and crying. The king, our master, is old and infirm. He will give a great reward to whoever will cure him and give him back the strength of his youth. Then the old beggar woman said to her benefactor, This is what you must do to obtain the reward which the king promises. Go out of town by the south gate, and there you will find three little dogs of different colors. The first will be white, the second black, and the third red. You must kill them and then burn them separately and gather up the ashes. Put the ashes of each dog in a bag of its own color, then go before the door of the palace and cry out, A celebrated physician has come from Janina in Albania. He alone can cure the king and give him back his strength of his youth. The king's physicians will say, This is an imposter and not a learned man. And they will make all sorts of difficulty, but you will overcome them all at last, and will present yourself before the sick king. You must then demand as much wood as three meals can carry in a great great cauldron, and must shut yourself in a room with the sultan. And when the cauldron boils, you must throw him into it, and there leave him until his flesh is completely separated from his bones. Then arrange the bones in their proper places, throw. Over them the ashes out of the three bags. The king will come back to life and will be just as he was when he was twenty years old. For your reward, you must demand the bronze ring, which has the power to grant you everything you desire. Go, my son, and do not forget any of my instructions. Quick sign note. That's a lot of instructions to remember. I don't think I would have managed. The young man followed the old beggar woman's directions. On going out of the town, he found a white, red, and black dogs, and killed and burnt them, gathered their ashes into three bags. He then ran to the palace and cried, A celebrated physician has just come from Janina in Albania. He alone can cure the king and give him back the strength of his youth. The king's physicians at first laughed at the unknown wayfarer, but the sultan ordered that the stranger should be admitted. They brought the cauldron and loads of wood, and very soon the king was boiling away. Towards midday, the gardener's son arranged the bones in their place, and he had hardly scattered the ashes over them before the old king revived to find himself once more young and hardy. "'How can I reward you, my benefactor?' he cried. "'Will you take half my treasures?' "'No,' said the gardener's son. "'My daughter's hand?' "'No.' "'Take half my kingdom?' "'No.' "'Give me only the bronze ring, which can instantly grant me anything I wish for.' At last, said the king, I set great store by that marvellous ring, nevertheless you shall have it, and he gave it to him. The gardener's son went back to say goodbye to the old beggar woman, then he said to the bronze ring, Prepare a splendid ship in which I may continue my journey. Let the hull be of fine gold, the masts of silver, the sails of brocade. Let the crew consist of twelve young men of noble appearance, dressed like kings. St. Nicholas will be at the helm. As to the cargo, let it be diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and carbuncles. And immediately a ship appeared upon the sea, which resembled in every particular the description given by the gardener's son. And stepping on board, he continued his journey. Presently he arrived at a great town, and established himself in a wonderful palace. After several days he met his rival, the minister's son, who had spent all his money and was reduced to disagreeable employment of a carrier of dust and rubbish. The gardener's son said to him, What is your name? What is your family? And from what country do you come? I am the son of of the Prime Minister of a great nation, and yet see what a degrading occupation I am reduced to. Listen to me. Though I do not know anything more about you, I am willing to help you. I will give you a ship to take you back to your own country upon one condition." Whatever it may be, I accept it willingly. Follow me to my palace. The minister's son followed the red stranger, who he had not recognized. When they reached the palace, the gardener's son made a sign to his slaves, who completely undressed the newcomer. Make this ring red-hot, commanded the master, and mark the man with it upon his back. The slaves obeyed him. Now, now, young man, said the red stranger, I am going to give you a vessel— which will take you back to your own country. In going out, he took the bronze ring and said, Bronze ring, obey thy master. Prepare me a ship, of which is of half-rotten timbers, shall be painted black. Let the sails be rags, and the sailors infirm and sickly. One shall have lost a leg, another an arm. The third shall be hunchback, another lame or club-footed or blind, and most of them shall be ugly and covered with scars." Go, and let my orders be executed. The minister's son embarked on this old vessel, and thanks to favorable winds at length reached his own country. In spite of the pitiful condition in which, they re- in which he returned, they received him joyfully. I'm the first to come back, said the king. He said to the king, Now fulfill your promise, and give me the princess in marriage. So they at once began to prepare for the wedding festivities. As to the poor princess, she was sorrowful and angry at enough about it the next morning at daybreak a wonderful ship with every sail set came to anchor before the town the king happened at that moment to be at the palace window what strange ship is this he cried that has a golden hull silver masts, and silken sails and who are the young men like princes who man it and i do not see saint nicholas and do i not see saint nicholas at the helm "'Go at once and invite the captain of the ship to come to the palace.' "'His servants obeyed him, and very soon came an enchanting, handsome young prince, "'dressed in rich silk, ornamented with pearls and diamonds. "'Young man,' said the king, "'you are welcome, whoever you may be. "'Do me the favour to be my guest, as long as you remain in my capital.' "'Many thanks, sire,' replied the captain. "'I accept your offer.' "'My daughter is about to be married,' said the king. "'Will you give her away?' I shall be charmed, sire. Soon after came the princess and his betrothed. Why? How is this? Cried the young captain. Would you marry this charming princess to a man such as that? But he is my prime minister's son. What does that matter? I cannot give your daughter away. The man she is betrothed to is one of my servants. Your servant? Without a doubt, I met him in a distant town, reduced to carrying away dust and rubbish from houses. I had pity on him and engaged him as one of my servants. "'It is impossible,' cried the king. "'Do you wish me to prove what I say?' This young man returned in a vessel which I fitted out for him, an unseaworthy ship with a black battered hull, and sailors were unfirm and crippled. "'It is quite true,' said the king. "'It is false,' cried the minister's son. "'I do not know this man.' "'Sire,' said the young captain." Order your daughter's betrothed to be stripped and see if the mark of my ring is not branded upon his back. The king was about to give his order when the minister's son, to save himself from such an indignity, admitted that the story was true. "'And now, sire,' said the young captain, "'do you not recognize me?' "'I recognize you,' said the princess. "'You are the gardener's son, whom I have always loved, and it is you I wish to marry.' young man you shall be my son-in-law cried the king the marriage festivities have already begun so you shall marry my daughter this very day and so that very day the gardener's son married the beautiful princess several months passed the young couple were as happy as the day was long and the king was more and more pleased with himself for having secured such a son-in-law but presently the captain of the golden ship found it necessary to take a long voyage and after embracing his wife tenderly, he embarked. Now, in the outskirts of the capital, there lived a man who had spent his life studying black arts, alchemy, astrology, magic, and enchantment. This man found out that the gardener's son had only succeeded in marrying the princess by the help of a genie who obeyed the bronze ring. I will have that ring, he said to himself. so he went down to the seashore and caught some little red fishes really they are quite wonderfully pretty then he came back and passing before the princess's window he began to cry out who wants some pretty little red fishes the princess heard him and sent out one of her slaves who said to the magician what will you take for your fish a bronze ring a bronze ring old Suppleton, and where shall i find one under the cushions of the princess's room "'The slave went back to her mistress. "'The old madman will take neither gold nor silver,' said she. "'What does he want?' "'A bronze ring that is hidden under a cushion.' "'Find the ring and give it to him,' said the princess. "'And at last the slave found the bronze ring, "'which the captain of the gold ship had accidentally left behind, "'and carried it to the magician, who made off with it instantly. "'Hardly had he reached his own house when taking the ring,' he said bronze ring obey thy master i desire that the golden ship shall be turned into black wood and the crew to hideous ogres and that saint nicholas shall leave the helm and the only cargo shall be black cats and the genie of the bronze ring obeyed him finding himself upon the sea in this miserable condition the young captain understood that someone must have stolen the bronze ring from him and he lamented his misfortune loudly but that did him no good Alas, he said to himself, whoever has taken my ring has probably taken my dear wife also. What good will it do me to go back to my own country? And he sailed about the island to island and shore to shore, believing that wherever he went, everyone was laughing at him, and very soon his poverty was so great that he and his crew and the poor black cats had nothing to eat but herbs and roots. After wandering about for a long time, he reached an island inhabited by mice. The captain landed on the shore and began to explore the country. There were mice everywhere, and nothing but mice. Some of the black cats had followed him, and not having been fed for several days, they were fearfully hungry and made a terrible havoc among the mice. Then the queen of the mice held a council. These cats will eat every one of us, she said, if the captain of the ship does not shut the the ferocious animals up. Let us send him a deputation of him from the bravest among us. Several mice offered themselves for this mission and set out to find the young captain. Captain, they said, go away quickly from our island, or we shall perish, every most of us. Willingly, said the young captain, upon one condition, that is, that you shall first bring me back a bronze ring, which some clever magician has stolen from me. If you do not do this, I will land all my cats upon your island, and you shall be exterminated. The mice withdrew in great dismay. What is to be done, said the queen? How can we find this bronze ring? She held a new council, calling in mice from every corner of the globe, but nobody knew where the bronze ring was. Suddenly, three mice arrived from a very distant country. One was blind, the second lame, and the third had her ears cropped. Ho, 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 said the newcomers. We come from a far distant country. Do you know where this bronze ring is, which... Do you know where the bronze ring is, which the genie obey? Ho, 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 we know. A wicked man has taken possession of it, and now he keeps it in his pocket by day and in his mouth by night. Go and take it from him and come back as soon as possible. So the three mice made themselves a boat and set sail to the magician's country. When they reached the capital, they landed and ran to the palace, leaving the only the blind mouse on the shore to take care of the boat. They then waited till it was night. The magician lay down in his bed and put the bronze ring in his mouth, and very soon he was asleep. Now what shall we do? said the two little animals to each other. The mouse with the cropped ears found a lamp full of oil and a bottle full of pepper. She first dipped her tail first in oil and then in pepper, and held it under his nose. A chew, a chew! He sneezed, but he did not wake up, and the shop made the ring jump out of his mouth quick as a thought the lame mouse snatched up the precious talisman and carried it off to the boat imagine the despair of the magician when he awoke and the bronze ring was nowhere to be found but by that time our three mice had set sail with their prize a favoring breeze was carrying them towards the island where the queen of mice was waiting them naturally they began to talk about the ring which of us deserves the most credit they cried all at once "'I do,' said the mouse, the blind mouse, "'for without my watchfulness our boat would have drifted away to the sea.' "'No, indeed,' cried the mouse with the cropped ears. "'The credit is mine. "'Did I not cause the ring to jump out of the man's mouth?' "'No, it's mine,' cried the lame one, "'for I ran off with the ring. From "'And from high words they soon came to blows, "'and alas, when the coral was fiercest, "'the bronze ring fell into the ocean.' How are we to face our queens of the three mice, when by our fall we have lost the talisman and condemned our people to be utterly exterminated? We cannot go back to our country. Let us land on this deserted island, and there end our miserable lives. No sooner said than done, the boat reached the island, and the mice landed. The blind mouse was speedily deserted by her two sisters, who went off to hunt flies, but as she wandered sadly along the shore, she found a dead fish. "'and was eating it when she felt something hard. "'At her cries, the other two mice ran up. "'It's the bronze ring! It's the talisman!' they cried joyfully. "'And getting into their boat again, they soon reached the mouse island. "'It was time they did, for the captain was just going to land his cargo of cats "'when a deputation of mice brought him the precious gold ring. "'Bronze ring!' commanded the young man. "'Obey thy master. Let my ship appear as it was before.' Immediately the genie of the ring set to work, and the old black vessel became once more the wonderful gold ship with sails of brocade. The handsome sailors ran to the silver masts and the silken ropes, and soon they set sail to the capital. Ah, how merrily the sailors sang as they flew over the glassy sea. At last the port was reached. The captain landed and ran to the palace where he found the magician asleep. The princess clasped her hand her husband, in a long embrace. The magician tried to escape, but he was seized and bound with cords. The next day, the magician, tied to the tail of a savage mule loaded with nuts, was broken into as many pieces as there were nuts upon the mule's back. The end. Um, Apparently, this one comes from Traditions Populaires de Zimignon by Carnorian Nicolades, and was published in 1889. Our next one is a little bit shorter, it's about six pages, Um, and it is Prince Hyacinth and the Dear Little Princess. Once upon a time there lived a king who was deeply in love with a princess, but she could not marry anyone, for she was under an enchantment. So the king set out to seek a fairy and asked what he could do to win the princess's love. The fairy said to him, you know that the princess has a great cat, which she is very fond of, Whoever is clever enough to tread on the cat's tail is the man that she is destined to marry. The king said to himself that this would not be very difficult, and he left the fairy determined to grind the cat's tail to powder rather than not tread on it at all. You may imagine that it was not long before he went to see the princess, and Puss, as usual, marched in before him, arching his back. The king took a long step and quite thought he had the tail underfoot. But the cat turned around so sharply that he only trod on air. And so it went on for eight days, till the king began to think that this is a fatal tail must be full of quicksilver. It was never still for a moment. At last, however, he was lucky enough to come upon the puss fast asleep and with his tail conveniently spread out. So the king, without losing a moment, set his foot upon the tail heavily. With one terrific yell, the cat sprang up and instantly changed into a tall man who was fixing his angry eyes upon the king and said, You shall marry the princess because you have been able to break the enchantment, but I will have my revenge. You shall have a son who will never be happy until he finds out that his nose is too long. And if you ever tell anyone what I have just said to you, you shall vanish away instantly and no one will ever see you or hear you again though the king was horribly afraid of the enchanter he could not help but laugh at his threat if my son has such a long nose as that he said to himself he must always be able to see it or feel it at least if he is not blind or without a hands but as the enchanter had vanished he did not waste any more time thinking on it but went to see the princess who very soon consented to marrying him but after all that they had not been very they had not been married very long when the king died and the queen had nothing left to care for but her little son who was called hyacinth the little prince had large blue eyes the prettiest eyes in the world and a sweet little mouth but alas his nose was so enormous that it covered half half his face the queen was inconsolable when she saw this great nose but her ladies assured her that it was not really as large as it looked that it was a roman nose and you had to only open any history to see that every hero has had a large nose. The queen, who was devoted to her baby, was pleased with what they told her, and she and when she looked at Hyacinth again, his nose certainly did not seem to be quite so large. The prince was brought up with great care, and as soon as he could speak, they told him all sorts of dreadful stories about people who had short noses. No one was allowed to come near him and whose nose did not more or less resemble his own, and the courtiers to get into favor with the queen took to pulling their baby's nose several times a day to make them grow long. But do what they would, they were nothing in comparison to the prince. When he grew sensible, he learned history. And whenever any great prince or any beautiful princess was spoken of, his teachers took care to tell them that they had long noses. His room was hung with pictures All of people with very large noses, and the prince grew up so convinced that a long nose was a great beauty that he would not, on any account, have had his own a single inch shorter. With his 20th birthday passed, the queen thought it was time that he should be married, so she commanded that porches of several, several princesses be brought for him to see, and among the others was a picture of the dear little princess. Now she was the daughter of a great king, and would someday possess several kingdoms herself. But Prince Hyacinth had not thought to spare of any sort. He was so much struck with her beauty. The princess, whom she thought was quite charming, had, however, a little saucy nose, which in her face was the prettiest thing possible. But it was cause for great embarrassment to the courtiers, courtiers, who had gotten into such a habit of laughing at little noses that they sometimes found themselves laughing at hers before they had time to think. But this did not do at all before the prince who quite failed to see the joke and actually banished two of his courtiers for, who dared to mention disrespectfully the dear little princess's tiny nose. The others, taking warning from this, learned to think twice before they spoke, and one even went so far as to tell the prince that though it was quite true that no man could be worthy, could be worth anything unless he had a long nose, still a woman's beauty was a different thing. And he knew a learned man who understood Greek and had read some of the old manuscripts that the beautiful Cleopatra herself had a tilt, tip-tilted nose. The prince made him a splendid present as a reward for this good news and at once sent the ambassadors to ask the dear little princess in marriage. The king her father gave his consent, and Prince Hyacinth, who in his anxiety to see the princess, had gone three leagues to meet her, was just advancing to kiss her hand, when to the horror of all who stood by, the enchanter appeared as suddenly as a flash of lightning, and snatched up the dear little princess, whirled her whirling her away out of their sight. The prince was left quite inconsolable and declared that nothing should induce him to go back to his kingdom until he found her again. And refusing to allow any of his courtiers to follow him, he mounted his horse and rode sadly away, letting the animal choose his own path. So it happened that he came presently to a great plain, across which he rode all day long without seeing a single house, and horse and rider were quite terribly hungry when the night fell "'and the prince caught sight of a light which seemed to shine from a cavern. "'He rode up to it and saw a little old woman who appeared to be at least a hundred years old. "'She put on her spectacles to look at Prince Hyacinth, "'but it was quite a long time before she could fix them securely because her nose was very short. "'The prince and the fairy, for that's who she was, had no sooner looked at one another when they burst into fits of laughter and cried at the same moment, "'Oh, what a funny nose!' "'Not so funny as your own,' said Prince Hyacinth to the fairy. "'But, madame, I beg you to leave the consideration of our noses such as they were, "'and to be good enough to give me something to eat, "'for I am starving, and so is my poor horse. "'With all my heart,' said the fairy, "'though your nose is so ridiculous, you are, nevertheless, the son of my best friend. "'I loved your father as though he had been my own brother.' now he had a very handsome nose and pray what does mine lack said the prince oh it doesn't lack anything replied the fairy on the contrary it's only too much of it but never mind one may be very worthy one may be a very worthy man though his nose is too long i was telling you i was your father's best friend he often came to see me in old times and you must know that I was very pretty in those days, at least he used to say so. I should like to tell you of a conversation we had the last time I ever saw him. indeed, said the prince. when I have supped, it will give me great ple- the greatest pleasure to hear it. But consider madame, I beg of you, I have had nothing to eat today. The poor boy is right, said the fairy. I was forgetting. Come in then and I will give you some supper, and while you are eating, I will tell you my story in a in a very few words, for I don't like endless tales myself. Too long a tongue is worse than too long a nose, and I remember when I was young that I was so much admired for not being a great chatterer. They used to tell me the mother, sorry, they used to tell the queen, my mother, that it was so. For though you see what I am now, I am I was the daughter of a great king, my father. Your father, I dare say, got something to eat when he was hungry, interrupted the prince. Oh, certainly, answered the fairy, and so you also shall have supper directly. I only just wanted to tell you, but I really cannot listen to anything until I've had something to eat, cried the prince, who was getting quite angry. But then remember that he had better be polite, as he much needed the fairy's help, he added. I know that in pleasure of listening to you, I should quite forget my own hunger, but my horse who cannot hear you must really be fed. The fairy was very much flattered by this compliment, and said, calling to her servants, You shall not wait another minute. You are so polite, and in spite of the enormous size of your nose, you are really quite agreeable. Like, take the old lady, how does she go on, how she does go on about my nose, said the prince to himself. One would almost think that mine had taken all the extra length that hers lacks. If I were not so hungry, I would soon have done with this chatterpie who thinks she talks very little. How stupid people are to not see their own faults that comes of being a princess. She has been spoiled by flatterers who have made her believe that she's quite a moderate talker. While the servants were putting the supper on the table, and the prince was very much amused to hear the fairy who asked them a thousand questions simply for pleasure of hearing herself speak, especially... Especially, he noticed one maid who, no matter what was being said, always contrived to praise her mistress's wisdom. Well, he thought as he ate his supper, I am very glad I came here. This just shows me how sensible I have been in never listening to flatterers. People of that sort praise us to our face without shame and hide our faults or change them into virtues. For my part, I will never be taken in by them. I know my own defects, I hope. Poor Prince Hyacinth he really believed what he said and had an idea that people who had praised his nose were laughing at him just as the fairy's maid was laughing at her for the prince had been had seen her laugh slyly when she could do so without the fairy noticing her however he said nothing and presently his hunger began to be appeased the fairy said my dear prince Might I beg you to move a little more that way, for your nose casts such a shadow I really cannot see what I have on my plate. Ah, thank you. Now let us speak of your father. When I went to his court, he was only a little boy, but that is forty years ago, and I have been in this desolated place ever since. Tell me, what goes on nowadays? Are the ladies as fond of amusement as ever? In my time, one saw them at parties, theaters, balls, and promenades every day. Dear me, what a long nose you have. I really cannot get used to it. Really, madame, said the prince, I wish you would leave off mentioning my nose. It cannot matter to you what it is like. I am quite satisfied with it and have no wish to have it shorter. One must take what it is take what it is given. Now you are angry with me, my poor hyacinth, said the fairy, and I assure you that I didn't mean to vex you. On contrary, I wish to do you a service. However, Though I really cannot help your nose being a shock to me, I will try not to say anything about it. I will even try to think that you have an ordinary nose. To tell you the truth, it would make three reasonable ones. The prince, who was no longer hungry, grew so impatient at the fairy's continual remarks about his nose that at last he threw himself upon the horse and rode away hastily. But wherever he came in his journey he thought the people were mad for they all talked of his nose and yet he could not bring himself to admit that it was too long for he had been used all his life to hear it called handsome the old fairy who wished to make him happy at last hit upon a plan she shut the dear little princess up in a palace of crystal and put this palace down where the prince could not fail to find it his joy at seeing the princess again was extreme and he set to work with all his might, to try and break her prison, but in spite of all his efforts, he failed utterly. In despair, he thought at least he would try to get near enough to speak to the dear little princess, who, on her part, stretched out her hand so he might kiss it, but turn which way he might, he could never raise it to his lips, for his long nose always prevented it. For the first time, he realized how long it really was and exclaimed, Well, it must be admitted that my nose is too long. In an instant, the crystal prison flew into a thousand splendors. Uh, The old fairy, taking the little dear princess by the hand, said to the prince, Now say if you are not very much obliged to me. Much good it was for me to talk to you about your nose. You would never have found out how extraordinary it was if it hadn't hindered you from doing what you wanted to do. You see how self-love keeps us from knowing our own defects of mind and body. Our reason tries in vain to show them to us. We refuse to see them until we find them in the way of our interest. Prince Hyacinth, whose nose was now just like everyone else's, did not fail to profit from the lesson he received. He married the dear little princess and they lived happily ever after. Um, and This is from Le Prince Désir et la Princesse Mignon by Madame la Prince de Beaumont. Um, I, I feel like there's some like holes in here though because like when did the fairy get the princess from the enchanter but like it's kind of entertaining anyways um this is when the world falls podcast with Teresa and I hope you enjoyed our lovely super ancient and classic fairy tales and I look forward to seeing you guys next week